Kelly, I hear you are not feeling up to snuff after your big race in Cabo. Uh, my big, like two thirds of a race. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, got stung by a jellyfish, had a really bad reaction, got super feverish. And now I'm also sick. If you can't tell, which is up for debate if that was happening before or after. I think it happened after, but I'm doing the podcast anyway, Sarah, just for you. You're so committed and we can hear the like, so you guys, this, this week, the podcast might be a little shorter than usual. Um, I'm sure you can tell that from Kelly's voice, (laughs) she's a little nasally, (laughs) but we appreciate your commitment to the cause, Kelly. That's right. I'm here for you guys. Yeah. So Cabo went pretty badly for me. I got stung by a jellyfish. And on a side point here, if you think like it seems like everyone's getting stung by jellyfish, it's not just a coincidence. Like it's actually a result of global warming. Like there are more jellyfish out there, like outside the context of triathlon, like there are literally more jellyfish. Like that's why it's swimmers come in contact with them more now. Yeah. And another important point too is to make is that like some people react more than other people and also there's different kinds of jellyfish right so like right. just because daniela can shake it off and still win the iron man world championship doesn't mean that's the same for everyone i just like not just you but i want like other people to no, like, multiple, not yeah. feel bad when multiple like people actually messaged me and were like oh my god i had the same thing happen but then daniela set the world course record so i felt like an idiot right i actually but here's the thing so i actually didn't realize that that was what was happening and what was wrong during the race. Cause I've been stung by jellyfish before and it hurt, but then it was like, but then my race was fine. I was fine. So when it happened and it was like really painful, like 15, 20 minutes into the swim hurt really bad, completely forgot about it by like, you know, 20, 30 minutes later when I started getting like super weak and feverish and chills and like vomit, you know, nauseous and like dizzy, I went through the checklist, like, well, maybe this is, you just feel bad. This is just jet lag from China. Like deal with it. Like you'll be fine. This is just calories. Eat some calories. You're, oh, you're having heat stroke. Like just pour some water on your, right? Like I went through the, like, like we do as athletes, right? Mm -hmm. Where you troubleshoot. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I had this moment logically. I was like, it's not even 8 a.m. yet. It's 75 degrees out. It's not possible to have heat stroke. (laughs) Like that is not a thing. And so then, Sarah, I basically had this meltdown, which like this is the point I wanted to make for our listeners. I thought it was super interesting because I didn't know what was wrong while it was happening. And I went through the checklist of troubleshooting and I was like, well, physically, I can't think of it like nothing is like none of these things are what's wrong. Physically, there's nothing wrong with me. It's not possible to have heat stroke yet. Therefore, this must be in my head. I must be weak. Like this must just be like me failing. Mm -hmm. I must just suck. And I went through like an hour and a half then of like the darkest shit I've ever had in a race because I clearly like couldn't, I like couldn't even run, right? Like I couldn't, I was like terrible. I was going backwards, Yeah, but I assumed it was because I, like I didn't have an answer. And I, I mean, Sarah, I told you after I even was like, I wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to quit triathlon. I was like, I can't do the podcast or the newsletter. I don't ever want to talk about triathlon again. I, you know, what am I doing with my life? Like, it was super ugly. Yeah. Okay. Oh, here's the thing I want to say, first of all, is that like, you're not alone in that. (laughs) Like, and honestly, like even in, I, I can think of it like as a coach, like someone who's watched, like probably well over a hundred people like go through these kind of processes. And I feel like one of my jobs is to like impart to them somehow before the race that like, if something goes wrong, it's to not like, to not go internal like that, because that is like the, a default of so many people. Right. And I think, right. so I think it takes like, it, to be fair, like it takes an awful lot for you to default there, but I have seen it 
with a lot of like amateur athletes where like I've seen people who will have a bad swim time. Right. And freak out. Yeah. And two hours into the bike ride, they're still like beating themselves up. Like that same way, like you said, like thinking right. that I am terrible. This is because I'm terrible. And then later after the race, you look at all the swim times and like and you, yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. swam under 55 minutes and it's because there was this massive current. And like, there's always an explanation, always an external explanation. Oh, for sure. And so I think like, obviously I did all the, like I went through all the troubleshooting for the first like 45 minutes. And then when I had come to the conclusion that lodge, there was no explanation for this. And all I wanted to do was sit down in a tub of ice water. Like that's all I wanted to do. Right. Cause I was super feverish. I came to the conclusion that like, it must be me. Like there is no explanation. Everybody else is writing fine. And here's what else I think is super interesting, though. This was almost like, like if I was looking above down on me, I'd be like, huh, that's a fascinating science experiment. Is that even after I realized, like, I was like, oh, right. Like you did get like stung by a jellyfish and like all these symptoms line up. And like, even after I realized that, like, I can't take back that hour and a half of like emotional scarring I did to myself, right? Like mm-hmm. you can't take back the things you said to yourself. And like, it was like some pretty ugly, specific stuff that I don't know how I come back. Like, honestly, like now I'm like, I don't even know. Like that was so emotionally draining. I don't know how you come back from that. Even when you know that like there was a reason there was an explanation, like you solved the physical problem. So yeah, I understand that. Cause sometimes it's like, it's almost like you've lost something. So I've had moments right. like that in the sport where it's like, I actually have to like mourn something so heartbroken that I have to get over my own heartbreak before I can move on. And that's like kind of hard to explain, but like, Later, I think later in my career, and I can say these things a little bit like because I'm retired. So I have this like retrospect. <laughs> there's some things I realized at the time and sometimes things I wished I had learned better at the, t- at the time, which I now see very clearly. Oh, good. But like one of them that I learned late in my career is like, it's never you. Or like, it's never it's me. It's never you. Like, so literally, I just like, for whatever reason, I like crossed this line where I, I believed that. So hmm. when... Oh, it's never mental is more like specific, not like it's never you, but it's never mental. So like those times when you're in a race and you're like, I feel like shit, like I'm mentally, you feel mentally weak, especially like in Ironman right. on the run. Sometimes you just feel, you feel like it's mental letting you down. Like chances are like start troubleshooting. It's probably carbohydrates and then probably it's calories. probably salt. Yeah. And then it's like, and then like you're saying, like, and even if you can't, like, you have to cross that line where, like, even if you can't come up with a reason, like, it's not you being mentally weak, right? But it yeah, took me, like, a million years to, like, I was further into my career and older than you when I, like, <laughs> kind of, like, finally accepted that, you know, and then was able, and then you can make better decisions, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're saying, I actually joke whenever anyone asks me about advice for Iron Man, that's literally my rule is always every time you want to quit, eat a gel. Like, that's, like, my... Cause I've always like, you know, when you think you want to quit and you feel terrible, like usually you have a gel and then you're like, I'm amazing. So yeah, exactly. It works. Yeah. Um, well, we're seven minutes into the intro. We haven't played our, <laughs> we haven't played our, well, uh, I had a lot to say about Kappa. So whatever. I know. I feel like, okay. After the intro, we, uh, we may still keep talking about Cabo. We're also going to talk about why words really do matter. The NCAA's new try team, Iron Man in weird places like Morocco. And a voicemail from our favorite mom. Live Feisties, If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc., whose boutique line of activewear for women features positive uplifting messages such as strong is the new skinny and I can, I will, end of story. 
You can support the podcast, get 20% off with the code RIDING at AskKickerInc, Inc with a K, dot com. If We Were Riding is also proud to be sponsored by Crave Jerky. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, yay, and contains all natural ingredients. You can support the podcast and get 20% off your online orders by using the code RIDING at CraveJerky.com. That is Crave with a K. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisties If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race to the top. I'm ready to do this. Show you what the truth is. I step on the field. It's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. Okay, so even before like Cabo went really badly for me. I was like super stressed beforehand. And I wrote about this in the newsletter this week. And stress for me is weird because I don't know that other people would know I was stressed about a race. Like I don't like get super high strung. Like I've been with you before race, right? Like I don't get like super stressed about or like high strung or like whatever, but I like can't keep food down. Like I literally can't keep food down. And I, I threw up in front of the Mexican TV cameras, like all over the beach. Oh, that's amazing. Like, right before the race. I wish yeah. I had that footage. I would like post that on our social media for sure. I know. It was uh it was it wasn't like a little either. It was like a lot. So I wrote this in the newsletter and I asked people like, what do they do about this? Because it's getting to be a problem for me. And it's usually when you put a lot of expectations on yourself, right? When you're like, I'm so fit, I'm gonna kill this, I'm you know, whatever. And so some people, so a bunch of people message me back and we're like, I get nervous all the time too. Like, thank, thank you for talking about this. Cause obviously a lot of people just say they never get nervous, which I'm always like, Oh, cool. Good for you. Yeah, thanks for the advice. Yeah. Thanks for the advice. But yeah, so when people email me back and some people said like some of the things that helped them was they would like make new friends at the race so that they would have like people to cheer for them. And, you know, they would like look for those people on the course and then it like made it you know, beyond them. It like gave them something to That's do. Cool. Mm-hmm. Somebody else said, obviously like there's like this, <laughs> there's this balance between like thinking about it too much and not thinking about it. Right. Like that it really helps to have like a step-by-step plan and have that all like laid out in your head beforehand. So you just like do it automatic, which I definitely do. Like that does help even when you are stressed, you like know what the next thing is, mm-hmm. but then also like stopping to like appreciate it, you know, I mean, not like literally stopping on course, but you know, also remembering like, it's fun. You choose to do this. Like it's enjoyable. Do you ever, I mean, I don't know. What do you, what, as, as the wise veteran, the wise Sarah, veteran that I am, I recommend. Yes. No, I am. Um, one thing like I like to do, even in just like my emotional life in general is like, take the helicopter view, you know, okay. is try to like, okay, this is, this is where I am right now, but try to see it in context of like this too shall pass almost or like <laughs> see yourself outside yourself. Like, so for example, with Iron Man, for the most part, you're like those nerves stop the minute that the gun goes off. Right. right? right and then right. you're in it and then you're like actually able to do something about it. If that makes right. sense, like you're nervous for a reason because you want to. So at least then once the gun goes off, you're still nervous, but you're like, I can control this by taking by swimming my best pace possible right now right where those nerves are coming and you can't do anything you you can't do anything about it you're better to kind of like let it wash over you almost like it's not you like that's what i mean by helicopter 
Like you mm. kind of detach a little bit from that. It's like, this is happening. Like I'm getting these butterflies in my stomach right now. And this is happening to my body, but I don't have to do anything about it. Like I don't have to get anxious about it. I don't have to respond to it. And I don't have to think anything. I just let it wash. So that helped me a lot. Or like the times when I used to hate race week, you know, yeah, like especially, for sure. especially starting when you land at the race site. So one strategy would be to not get to the race site so early for me or to like spend as little time as possible there. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think I can get to races any later. I like already stress everybody out <laughs> like, <laughs> by being like so lackadaisical. Oh yeah. One time I accidentally almost missed registration. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, being more relaxed is not something you need <laughs> per se. Per se. But just to like go, okay. Like I used to, once I started taking that approach of, okay, I'm probably going to like not enjoy these four days very much of my life. Do little things to help me enjoy them. Like, like what for right. dinner with friends or just talk about things, nothing to do with the race, distract myself, those kind of things. And then once I've done all of that, I can do, there's going to be some aspect that I don't enjoy. And just that level of acceptance instead of stressing about hating race week or right, like letting right, it right. control me instead of controlling it. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely an inch. I think obviously like everyone deals with it differently. Like for me, I'm, I don't like, it doesn't bother me that much, but like in terms of like stressing out, but I literally like won't be able to eat sometimes the day before, which is unfortunate because you kind of need to eat. So I think everybody has, you know, different, you know, different things they have to work through. Yeah. I've definitely had days before where I just, where I'm eating a lot of just like plain white rice. For sure. Or just looking around for what can I manage a little bit like being pregnant no there you go so i was actually staying this is weird like my hotel i booked got overbooked they rebooked me in another hotel down the street so i was actually in this like all-inclusive resort Mm -hmm. so i was at the buffet regularly there were no people from the race there was one other person in the whole resort doing the race so it was all these like mostly midwestern and southern like coming to Mexico to drink on the beach vacationers, right? Like, have you been to an all-inclusive in Mexico? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I've been to all-inclusives in Cabo. I know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. Okay. So I was at the buffet getting my like things that sounded good, which was like a random assortment. And one of these like classic all-inclusive vacation members goes, oh, excuse me. I don't mean this to sound sexist. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, where is this going? Right. When you open like that, you know. Yeah. (laughs) And then he goes, oh, but are you doing the Iron Man tomorrow? And I was like, yeah. Like, why would that be? And he goes, oh, so they let women do it. I was like, oh, yeah. And he genuinely, at first I was like, whoa. But then he genuinely was confused. He was like, but it's called Iron Man. I didn't know. Like, so they let women do Iron Man? And I was like, yeah. Anyway, and then he goes, well, they really should call it like Iron Person or something. <laughs> right. And I just thought this was amazing because here's this like random guy. No, I like we obviously joke about like, oh, it should be Iron per- Oh, Iron Woman. And like in the triathlon community, that's like considered absurd. But here's this guy. He literally like didn't even know women were allowed to do it because it's called Iron Man. So. Oh, I'm totally of the opinion that language matters. I mean, so you don't yeah. have to. You know, nobody has to convince me that. Iron Man is a male centric word, even if it is like people often argue it's a brand. Right. And then eventually we do stop kind of hearing it. And I know that I definitely sort of heard it more as a brand and event than as like a word about 
men being tough or whatever, <laughs> whatever people right. hear. But now that I, I've said, I think I've said this before, but now that because we have the Iron Women podcast and I hear Iron Women and I say Iron Women all the time, I've sort of become like the scales have fallen from my eyes in terms of nice. like, now I hear Iron Man as very much like Iron Man and I hear Iron Women as Iron Women. And and I also find it amusing when people comment, say, on the podcast and say, oh, I didn't like Iron Women. Oh, like a guy might say Iron Women. Why should I listen to that? Right. Right. And or that's not for me. Like They somehow assume that the content isn't for them because it's called Iron Women. But somehow we're all supposed to assume that Iron Man is an event for us. Right. I mean, obviously, that's the whole like, what is the norm? In society, I mean, that's the general discussion of like when you say like, oh, well, it's normal. Like, what does that mean? Like, what is the norm? Why is someone outside of whatever the base standard is? Yeah. Even me, like, so, I'm trying to, I did it right at the top of the podcast. I said, okay, guys. Hey, when oh, I, I know, say guys all the time. I know that you do. And I get it from you. And I'm trying to change, trying to change. But I don't know what's the other, what's the alternative, y'all? I should totally be like, hey, hey y'all. y'all. <laughs> I, I can't get away with that being Canadian, nor can you, California girl. But, I, well, what about folks? Like, hey, folks. Folks. I've done ladies, but like, la- hey, ladies sounds super, like, especially if you've ever been on like a bachelorette email chain, it sounds super like, let's go to brunch. So <laughs> it totally does. I mean, what would you say for a gender neutral one? That's where I, that's I honestly, thinking, I mean, I honestly think guys has become a one that's like a very generic. People don't assume you mean men at all, but, that's true, but people don't assume Iron Man is for men till. Well, they do. (laughs) Well, you know, language changes, Sarah. Okay. So we are reclaiming guys. Guys means everyone. It's fine. (laughs) Okay. You're going the reclaiming route for guys. Exactly. I don't know. I don't know if I'm in on that. I might just, I'm going to continue to change my habit to folks. Okay. Noted. Okay. Fine. We we can agree to disagree on that. (laughs) So the other thing that was this past weekend was the NCAA women's collegiate triathlon race, which is like, sorry, that's not exactly what it's called because it's, Women's triathlon is not technically like an NCAA sport in the U.S. yet, but it's like on its way to being. Do you know so how many more schools we need to add? 14 to- by 2024. Okay. And so they're like, they have 26 schools. They need 40. They have like six more years. Okay. They're adding them like every week now, uh, which Great. is why I actually had even like missed the press release that they added. So USA triathlon actually has been really, really pushing this. They've really been promote like doing the behind the scenes grassroots organizing work. So they announced last week that they added the first historically black university. The, the acronym's HBCU, which means historically black college university, but like that always, mm-hmm. but they added the first historically black university, uh, Hampton university, uh, which is also a D one school. And there aren't that many D one schools have signed on. And so this is actually like a, I missed it in all the press releases they kind of send all the time, but it's actually kind of a big deal because we talk about, you know, diversifying the sport Mm -hmm. and they actually really put a bunch of money behind this too. Like Mm -hmm. USAT said any HBCU, the first one that signs on, will give them, will give them a $225,000 grant to like get off the ground. And then anybody that signs on after that will get some other, like, I think it's like a hundred thousand. The first, it's like an X amount each year for the first three years. Right. So I love when organizations like USAT, like put their money where their, where their mouth is like, because this is, they have said for a long time that diversity is important for, is important for them. And this literally like by doing this, will there be more black athletes in the sport at a higher level? Probably. Yes. Like, I feel like this is, this is 
probably going to work. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I obviously, everyone knows I have like very mixed feelings about the NCAA effort generally, mm-hmm. um, because there is such a strong club effort mm-hmm. in the U S. So if USA triathlon put the money it's spending into the club effort, it's like the club efforts already fairly. I mean, obviously it could be more diverse on a number of levels, but it's already inclusive. Like it isn't exclusive like NCAA sports are. So I feel like if you had put that money into promoting and diversifying the club effort, it might've been better for the sport, but I get like the pros and, you know, there are pros and cons, Sarah. Life is complicated. (laughs) So that's amazing. That's where we ended up. Life is complicated (laughs) folks. And speaking of which, (laughs) (laughs) well, speaking of diversity, there's some new Ironmans that have been announced lately. The most recent you talked about in the or on the newsletter, I thought that was really interesting about your experience in Morocco and, and Marrakesh in general. Yeah, I mean, you obviously like have done the triathlon training thing in the Middle East, which is different. Like Morocco is definitely a little behind the uh, infrastructure. Marrakesh is different to Dubai, really. Oh yeah, like, that's a Marrakesh place. was, mm-hmm. and it's like of all the like. So I lived in Morocco for a little while because I was an au pair. I was a terrible au pair. <laughs> That's like a whole nother story. <laughs> but Marrakech is like also the most like Moroccan of all the cities. If that makes sense. Like it has, it's like, it's still like very historical, very, like very close to the mountains there. There's still like people who live in those mountains that like don't speak Arabic or English. They speak like Berber. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's very Moroccan. And so it's just cra- like, I saw them announce this new 70.3 there. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, are there Moroccan triathletes? I'm sure that there, I'm, I know there's like a tri group in like Casablanca and one in Rabat probably, but there's like, there can't be more than two dozen triathletes like in the entire country, like local, not like, you know, who are live on a base or like at the embassy or something like that. Like, so I, I just couldn't imagine putting this race on there and having it be like local Moroccan triathletes. And I felt kind of the same way about the Sri Lanka race when they announced it. Like, that's awesome. That's cool. But like, who is it that's doing these? And so then I think you get to this question. Yeah. Have you, have you been to Sri Lanka? I haven't. My old roommate like grew up in Sri Lanka. Like so, I, I couldn't, Yeah, I can't imagine a triathlon happening there of any kind, let alone a long one. I, I mean, it must be on a resort. I think um, somebody told me that it's like outside, like there's like a, a city wall or whatever. And then it's like on this like path basically. Mm. But I mean, it's not how they do them in the Middle East too. It's like, it's like, a, there's a pretty much very much a separation between like, well, there's a class separation, but then there's also like, here's our event and it is happening over here and it is very like protected and controlled and like, yeah, there's a little bit of that, but I think like say in Bahrain or, or in the United Arab Emirates, there's definitely, like definitely a triathlon community. There's definitely a surprising number of Bahrainis who swim bike and run and or do triathlon like more than you would expect from the outside whereas like I don't know like what you're saying about your experience in Morocco it doesn't sound like that's the case or like in Sri Lanka it's more this kind of place where literally you would have to have the bike course even to have smooth road inside a resort like it's it's hard to it kind of blows my mind a little bit where dubai is covered in smooth roads that you could have for a bike course that's not hard to imagine um but one thing that is true is that there are some of these places where it's a fine line between like basically entrenching kind of like like social would you call it like social classes right right like who are you making this race for right and let's be real, like it's an expensive sport. You're not making it for the masses. 
So then are you just like further perpetuating like certain divides that already exist there? The thing that I was really struck by with like a number of these announcements of new races in places where like there has not historically been triathlon is are we building like it? Are we building triathlon? So then the local community has something to grow into, which we've talked about over Mm -hmm. and over, right? That you have to like have opportunities for people to do something. They have to see it in order to be it. Right. So are we like building something for local community to grow into? Like it doesn't exist yet, but it will, which is great. Or are we like so far ahead of the demand that like, we're just flying in, putting this thing there and then like flying out, you know, and there isn't going to be a local demand. Who is it that's actually going to be doing this? I get the suspicion. It's going to be like a lot of European athletes flying in, taking vacation and flying out. I don't know that that's necessarily bad, but I think that, but it is like, what is the goal, right? Like what is Ironman's goal? It's an interesting question, Kelly. I, I really, you know that I'm always going to come down fairly hard on the side of build it and they will come. Uh, But it is a good question about whether those small triathlon communities that do exist in places like Marrakesh or, Sri Lanka will actually be able to rally and form their own, like whether they will grow as a result of Ironman being there. I, I want to believe that they will. So I think I'm just going to roll with that because I want it to be true. You want it to be true. I mean, if you look at all these other races though, in South America and like Southeast Asia, what you do see is a lot of the wealthy people from the larger regional area, like flying in to do them. You don't see it as much like locally. So we'll see. And I think it's the same in Dubai and in Bahrain. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll We'll, we'll keep tabs on it and we'll let Marrakesh is lovely. It was my favorite place. I just don't know that I would do a triathlon there. So everyone should go. Yeah. Folks, we will keep you posted. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, After the, after our, we run our outro, we have, you want to stay on because we had a voicemail from Kelly's mom this week. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ass Kicker Inc. and Crave Jerky. You can support the podcast and get 20% off by using the code RIDING, that's R-I-D-I-N-G, at asskickerinc, inc with a K, dot com. And Crave Jerky, crave with a K, dot com. If you don't already, follow us on all the social medias at If We Were Riding on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And make sure you subscribe to our feed on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If We Were Riding is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our fabulous editor is Aaron Hamilton. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the team. I need to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real. I'm feeling so ruthless. Well, good morning. I haven't talked to you guys in a while. I was thinking about how angry people get whenever you bring up a topic that forces them to think about things differently. And I saw something in a friend's classroom that made me think of you. It's not my quote, but here you go. People think I go out of my way to piss them off. Trust me, it's not out of my way at all.